this is my Bible? It is the word of truth. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I am humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 27, you'll find these words. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished. Somebody say astonished. The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Amen? You may be seated. Well, this is going to be our fourth sermon in this series that we've entitled Astonished at His Teaching. And uh, I want to say thanks to all the ministers who was out on and, and, and sacrificed on Wednesday night for an hour of power. I want to thank them for their dedication and effort that they put in to come before you. You know, Minister Latham talked about trusting God, and Minister Pouncer let us know that if we ain't catching no fish, we can't call ourselves fishermen. And uh, Brother Wayne let us know that worship is more than what we do in here. You know, he said the lady that just washed his feet with her tears were worshiping. She didn't have to sing hallelujah, didn't have to dance. All of our acts that we do in, for his glory is acts of worship. This is just one aspect of it. But when you leave here, worship don't stop. Amen? So we're looking at this word astonished. And we said astonished means to be struck with amazement, to throw into wonderment, to shock, confound, or perplex. It also means to cause to marvel. We said that this particular passage comes at the end of Jesus' powerful and world-renowned Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was preaching to his disciples. Somebody say disciples. He was preaching primarily to his disciples, but the multitudes were there because they had followed him because of the miracles he had done. And as he was teaching, it was a mixed crowd. Some uh, were on the fringe, some were leaning toward him, and others were committed. Somebody say committed. Committed to follow him. Say committed like you wanted old. Say it a little bit louder. Some were committed to following him. In this sermon, Jesus sometimes used poetic, metaphoric, or hyperbolic language to create a strong impression or to invoke strong feelings to make his point. Thereby, some things he said astonished or amazed those who were listening to him. The sermon served as the standard for which the disciples should strive to live up to as they live for him in earth. It's a standard that we should strive to live up to. Amen? Now, last week we looked at Jesus' teaching on taking oaths or making vows. We followed that by his teachings on, on revenge, and we closed with his teaching his disciples that they had to love people at a higher level than those religious leaders that taught them. They were, to, were taught that they had to love people to the same degree that God loved people. Amen? And if we want to be like our Heavenly Father, we must love like our Heavenly Father. Amen? Now today in chapter 6, we see Jesus turn from addressing the teachings of the Pharisees and religious leaders, chapter 6 of Matthew, to dealing with their hypocritical deeds. Somebody say hypocritical. Hypocritical deeds. All three of these points that we're going to make today centers around hypocrisy. He asserted that their motivation for doing benevolent deeds and acts of worship 
was for their vain glory and not for God's glory. Jesus was not forbidding his disciples from doing good deeds publicly. He wasn't condemning the, uh, uh, them for doing the things that God called them to do to let their light shine. He was condemning the ostentatious. In other words, he was saying, hey, in my ministry, in the kingdom, there is no time for showboating. I had to look up that word ostentatious. You know, that ain't something I use every day, but I figured I'd throw it in since I looked it up. And so he was saying, man, we can't be pretending. If we're going to do something, do it for real. And do it not to be seen by men, but to glorify God. And so he had a problem when they were doing things, but their motivation, going back to what we learned earlier, everything centers around what's in our heart. And so if our heart is not pure when we do things and our motivation is bad, we can be doing things in the name of God, but he can, will not be pleased. All because of our motivation. The heart of the Pharisee hypocrisy was when he condemned the way they performed their acts of giving, prayer, and fasting. And these were three pillars of religious piety. And these were duties that we should be devoted to today as we follow the Lord. Amen. Amen. Giving, prayer, and fasting. Can we say those together? Giving, prayer, and fasting. Now look at this. In, in, in verse 1 of chapter 6, the Bible says this. It says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. He's saying, I don't have a problem with you doing charitable deeds, but don't let your motivation major to be seen by men. Don't let your acts of kindness be done so that someone else can glorify you and not glorify God. He said, because when we do those things to be seen of men, Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he says, now look, when you do things for show, you're not doing it for God's glory, you're doing it for your glory. And the only praise you're going to get is going to come from men and not God. He says, therefore, when you do charitable deeds, do not sound the trumpet. In other words, don't go out and make a, 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 you know, a big show of it. Before you ask the hypocrites, those who are pretending, those who are acting, but they're not real in what they're doing. He says, they do this in the synagogues and in the street, that they may have the glory from men. Then he says, surely I say to you, they have their reward. Then he comes back and says, look, they're going to have their honor and the praise they want because they're going to be getting it from men. But do you want to receive the honor and praise of man and not have God be pleasing with you, pleased with you? You know, is, is, is man telling you you all that more so than pleasing God? Because there are some people who give, millionaires who give $2,000 out of their millions, and they want to make a big show. They want a press conference. They want everybody to see them giving. When there are other people who are not as well off give just as much to the same cause but nobody know their name. So sometimes we got to ask ourselves, would we do what we're doing if no one know we did it? Because if you can't answer that question with the right answer, then that means that sometimes you may be doing things just for 
just for show. And Jesus said, hey, he, he ain't about rewarding your show. Because when the show is on you, it's not on him. So he says, now, but when you do your charitable deeds, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deeds may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Now, sometimes people look at that and say, well, he said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That's just another way of saying, do it privately. You know, don't make a show out of it. Because he would be hypocritical because Jesus did some good things in the open. When he did benevolent works and feed the 5,000, fed the 5,000, he did that openly. When he healed people, he did that openly. So God ain't got no problem with you doing good things openly as long as your motivation for doing it is coming from a pure heart. Don't let your openness be a way of bringing glory to you and not giving the glory to God. Because anytime we do that, then we're doing things just for show, and then it becomes all about us and not about him. So we got to learn how to do the right things with the right motive and believe that when we do that, God will be pleased. Now that's talking about benevolent giving. God wants us to be able to give to people benevolent. He wants us to show acts of kindness if we can. But at the same time, he don't want you doing it for the wrong reason. If you never get a thank you or that's a great thing, don't worry about it. God made, made note of it just like he did for Cornelius, you know, up in heaven. He'll make note of the things that you're doing. Now, look at verse 6. Chapter 6, verse 5, this is the second act of piety that Jesus addressed, it was prayer. Now, some people, especially the religious leaders, wanted others to think that they were very holy. And public prayer was one of the ways they could do this and get attention. Now, there's nothing wrong with public prayer. But to pray only where others will notice you, and you don't have a private prayer life, then there's something wrong with that. In other words, if you can pray the house down in here, but then when you go home, you don't pray at all. It's one thing to sit at the restaurant and make a big deal out of blessing your food, but when you're at home, you don't say, all of a sudden, you want to bless when you're sitting in Olive Garden with everybody looking at you, so you appear to be holy. This is a good day to appear to be holy on Sunday because a lot of y'all go to, you know, restaurant after church. So y'all get there and y'all go. And the Spirit ought to say to you right then, do you bless your food at home? So I think Jesus is saying, if you don't bless it at home, don't bless it in public. You're better off in his eyes if you don't bless it at all than to go in public and show that you're blessing it, and then at home you don't. So he taught all that when it comes to their praying and how they wanted to be seen in public. And look at verse 5, chapter 6. He said, and when you pray. Somebody said, when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. He said, when you pray. Now, he don't tell you how often you Ought to be doing it, but he, he expects you to pray. I know more than Joyce in here. I mean, this ain't one of the ones where I want to hear just a, a head nod in. 
I'll say this again. He expects you to. If you agree with that, you're supposed to say. Amen. Your silence means you disagree. Amen. <laughs> I see, I know y'all are going to like this. I'm glad Jesus was teaching this and not me. He said, now he says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, obviously, Jesus don't have a problem with you praying openly. He just wants your motivation to be right when you pray openly. He prayed openly. So he got no problem with that. But also, he prayed privately. He had a private prayer life. He went on the mountain sometimes. Even though Peter prayed openly, Peter also went on the rooftop and pray. So all he said is that you need a private prayer life. And that prayer life can take place in your car on your way to work. Now some of you all may take this scripture literally and go into a closet. And that's okay. But he's not talking about you building your little closet and calling it a prayer closet. That's fine. But he's just saying it's important that you pray, pray privately. Whether in your car, in your office, on the job, somewhere when you're privately praying, you can talk more intimate to God about what's really concerned you than you can when you're standing in front of folk. And so, therefore, that private prayer life is important when you can get down to the real issues that pertain to your life. Even when we come to church and get in the prayer line, most of the time we don't really tell folk what we really need and going through. And so he's saying that if you want to get to that level of intimacy with God, you're going to have to have a private prayer life. And then when you do pray in public, don't do it for show to be seen by men. He said, now look, verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Again, the emphasis is on private prayer. Now he says this to them. He says now, and when you pray, do not use vain, somebody say vain. Do not use vain repetition. He didn't say not use repetition. He said just don't use vain repetition, empty. Words that don't mean nothing. You know, just noise and no substance. Because Jesus repeated himself in the garden. Paul prayed three or four times by the thorn of his flesh. So obviously there is no problem with repetition. The problem is with vanity when you repeat it. So God is saying to you, again, going back to what I've been saying about your heart being sincere and pure, when your heart is right and your heart is pure, your prayer life ought to be much better because you're praying from the substance of your heart and from your spirit, so therefore you're being intimate with God in prayer. He says, now look, in verse 7, and when you pray, again, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. It is not the volume of words that you use when you pray that's, pray that's important to God. It's the substance of what you're saying. And I tell people all the time, if you don't know what to pray, just pray the scriptures back to him. You dealing with anxiety? Go find out what the Bible says about anxiety and pray that back to God. 
if you don't know what to pray. But I'm telling you, sometimes it's just a matter of opening up your heart and being sincere and honest with God when you pray. And then when you pray in public, in public don't do it to be seen. Don't just go on and on and on just to be... And now the difference between someone who loved to pray and someone who loved to be heard praying. And so if you truly love to pray, then you're going to pray in private as well as in... Oh, again, this is a Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was teaching some principles. And so from this, he talked about these vain words. Then he began to get into the point where he's going to teach them what we call the Lord's Prayer. He said, now look, verse 8, Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. Even before you go into the closet to pray, God already knows what you need. And if he know what you need, but he still say you got to? Even before you ask. Your father already know what you have need of. So now look at verse 9. He says, now in this manner, therefore pray. And this is where we get the Lord's prayer out of this. And we say this every week, every time we open service. But guess what? It can be vain repetition if your heart is not connected with it while you... If, if all you're doing is standing at the seat and just going... Ah, Here we go again. Fabian just says, time's up to pray. Then you might as well not say it. Because to you it's just vain. But when you pray it, you got to connect with what you're saying and what you're expecting from God. So he is letting us know that this is a model. This ain't the only way we can pray. But I tell you what, if you pray this every day, you're going to hit all the bases. Amen. Y'all look at this. Verse 9. He says, now in this manner, somebody say in this manner. Therefore pray. Then he says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We establish a relationship as we worship. And because we're his children, we have a right to call him Father. We address where he abodes and where he abounds in heaven. Then we say, Hollywood, be your name. Your name is supposed to be pure and holy, and it's supposed to be reverence and respect. In other words, you can't use God's pure and holy name I got to say this delicate because I, I don't want folks to accuse me of cussing. You can't use God's name to express your anger or frustration. When I was in the world, when you say, God, y'all know what I'm about to say. Don't you? Uh -huh. See, somebody's still in that membrane. That's using God's name to express your frustration. When we got saved, we just say, Jesus Christ. When you use it like that to express your frustration, you're not using his name in the right way. 
You know, you don't cuss your kids out no more, but you look at them and say, Jesus Christ. You, you, you want to cuss them. You upset. You frustrated about something that they are doing. And so you just done substituted it with Jesus' name instead of what you would have said 10 years ago. And Jesus say, don't use my name to vent. I know you're guilty of it. I was guilty of it too. I mean, I had to study and say, look here, I got to just repent. Just say, I'm sorry. Jesus, I'm sorry for using your name like that. I didn't know. I was ignorant. I thought I was glorifying you when I said, Jesus Christ. That boy didn't take the trash out again. Jesus Christ. That girl didn't do what she's supposed to do. Jesus. And he's saying, that name is to be reverenced and respected and not to be used to display your anger and frustration. Mm, mm, mm. I hope y'all got something out of that because I did. It's going to make you think. So we don't stop cussing, but we just don't put, you know, throw Jesus' name in the mix. He said, now, this first part of his prayer is all about addressing him and his needs and concerns. We learned this today in our men's group. So you notice that he didn't tell you to start praying, talking about you and what you need, what you want. He said you got to start our prayer by adoring and, and reverencing and respecting him before you get to you. And so you're wrong when you go to God in prayer and you start, oh God, well, you know I need this, Lord, and you know my back been hurting, Lord, and da da da. Didn't I just say, he said, I already know what you have need of? even before you ask, but just because I know, don't you disrespect me by coming straight to your knees before you address me. You, you got to give him his adoration. You got to give him his prop. You got to give him his, his reverence and respect. You just can't go haul off and start asking for stuff. He don't have no problem with you asking for it, but just show him some respect before you ask for it because it make it look like you think he don't know what you have It'll be like your kids always coming to you, begging, 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 and never say, Mom, Dad, you know, I really love you. I appreciate you for all you do. Da, da, da. Now, I want this. I need this. Da, 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 da. Y'all say, well, don't you think I know what you need? I need to understand, do you know what you're supposed to do before you ask for what you I need some respect. I need a... <laughs> See, I'm trying to help y'all that got some kids today. You need to make, make your kids respect you before you start showering them with... He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then he said, look, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we want the same level of things that happen in the earth to happen at the same degree that they happen in heaven. So therefore, we are praying that your will be done. Well, how is God's will going to be done in the earth? Through through you. So you're praying, God, let me be obedient to you so that I will carry out your will because your will is defined in your word. All before we ask him for anything, we say, God, let me be let me be bold enough to just carry out your will in earth. You know, it's your will that all be saved. Let me be bold enough to do what you want to have done 
in the earth. Let me be a vessel that you can use to bring glory to you. So that's why he said, your kingdom come, not my kingdom, but yours. Your will be done on earth as it is in. Now, after you get there, then now you can start requesting some stuff. Then he said, look, it's okay, Adrian, to say, give us this day our daily bread. Now, all you're saying, God, meet my needs every day. I don't need you to meet my needs for next week. I just need you to meet my needs for right today. That's why later on, he's going to talk about in the parable, take no thought for tomorrow. Tomorrow got enough problem, enough trouble. You just need to take thought of, take advantage of everything that God is going to give you today. You're saying, God, meet my needs too. And then look here, most of you are going to end this day believing that your needs, your physical needs, your spiritual needs, going to be met. But this will let me know that we, if we pray this, then this ought to always be a part of our daily prayer life. God, meet my needs today. Not what I want, but my needs. Because you already know what I have need of. You may not agree with everything I want, but you're going to agree with what I... I know y'all don't want to hear that, but, that, but he said, look. So he said, now give us this day. Somebody say this day. This day, not tomorrow, not next week, but this day. That's why James said, look, if we start prophesying what we're going to do two years from now, and we ain't even together to give us this day our daily bread. And then look what he says here. It looks like there's the potential, potential for us to need to be forgiven every day. I know, I know some of y'all too holy to think y'all don't need no forgiveness every day. But you just, you see, you better go back and see what Jesus said about your thoughts. You, you saying, I didn't commit no acts today that I need to ask God to forgive me, but what did you think? What are some of the things you want to say, but you didn't? You got to tell this to what he said. This is one sermon. So you just can't start here. You got to say, he told us earlier. Hey, look, your thoughts are going to get you in trouble before you ask. And if you don't take capture of those thoughts that come in your head, then guess what? At the end of the day, you need to say, God, forgive me for them thoughts I had today. How many of you know y'all had some thoughts? Didn't y'all have some thoughts yesterday that you want to get rid of? Yeah, what you need to say, Lord, forgive, forgive me for them thoughts. I ain't talking about your acts of disobedience. I'm talking about your thinking that wasn't in line with God's. Oh, Lord. He says, and forgive us our debts as we, as, as, so forgive us our debts as we forgive others. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, he's saying, God, to the same degree that I forgive other folk, you forgive me. You may be walking around wondering why you ain't more blessed than you ought to be. Because you ain't forgave some folk. And you want God to heap down blessings upon you and blessings upon you, and you haven't forgiven some people. And God is still holding some stuff against you. Ah. Uh, 
Now, we just got through praying this. I hope this ain't no mystery to nobody. Maybe we didn't think about it like this. We just said, and forgive us our debts. We forgive our debtors. But what does that really mean? What are you really asking God to do for you? Now, look at this. Then in verse 13, he says, and do not lead us into, which leads me to believe that temptation is out there every day. Every day you wake up in the morning, there's a potential that you could be tempted by something. Temptation is not a sin. Yielding to the temptation is. So you got to believe that when temptation comes, God is able to give you a way out. With every temptation that comes in your life, God ought to be able to give you a way of escape. The problem is sometimes when temptation comes, we ain't looking to it. Some, let's be real for a moment. This is, this is Sunday worship service. If you're lying, God already knows. So, so and let's just be real. We might well just be real. I mean, you know, don't sometimes you be tempted and then you, you know, you think about that thing a little too long. You're being tempted. You, you know, you ain't even looking for no way out. And see, when you're not looking for a way out of temptation, then you're going to be looking for a way to get deeper into it. I know. We just prayed this, Pastor. Why you got to go back over it like that? We was happy with the way we said it. We've been saying it like that for years. And you ain't never stopped us before and talking about this leading us into temptation. You ain't never asked us what we've been tempted with. Well, you ain't been reading it with your heart. You ain't been putting your heart into it. Because you ain't been putting your heart into it, the Holy Spirit will say, hey, look here. You know, you've been tempted. You done came real close. I've been trying to help you, but look like you, you keep dabbling with it. Sooner or later. So he's saying, keep that in your mindset. And then you say, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us. Somebody say, deliver us. Deliver us from the evil one. The evil one is the one who's going to tempt you. And if God don't deliver you from him, he will capture you. He will hold you captive. He will put you, like we were talking about today, in a stronghold. He'll put some things in your life that'll be hard for you to be delivered from. That's why you got to pray every day. God, don't lead us into temptation. Don't let us be overwhelmed, overtaken by the temptation of the devil. Because he's going to always be tempting us. That's his job. He is called the tempter. So therefore, what makes you think you're going to be exempt from tempting? God ain't got no problem, Candace, with you being tempted. He just got a problem when you... Some things he tell you, do all you can to stand, and after you've done all you can to stand, still. But there are some things he tell you, you got to... Y'all got to know the difference between the running kind of sin and the standing kind of sin. That's something he didn't say, standing, I'm going to rebuke this little spirit of lust in the name of the Lord. No, no, no. He said, you got to, you better put some distance. I'm talking about praying back to God from our heart. He says, now look, then he go back and says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory 
forever. Now, some manuscript, that's not in there. Some believe that the writers added that for effect, but whoever put it there, I thought it was a good put. I don't have no problem saying that everything belonged to God. The kingdom belonged to him, the power belonged to him, and the glory belonged to him. And if we can just keep those things in perspective, knowing that this kingdom is his, not ours. This power that we operate in is his, not ours. The power of the Holy Spirit. And the glory that we get is not ours. It belongs to He don't have no problem with you getting glory. You just need to reflect it back to him. He don't have a problem with people praising you for doing a great job and all the stuff that you do. But when they do, you got to acknowledge him in the midst of your being praised. And he's going to be happy because he's going to, that's letting him know you realize where your blessings come from. And then he says amen as to end that portion of the prayer. But then in verse 14 and 15, I found this to be very interesting. That Jesus would shock and startle his followers by going back and addressing one part of the prayer. I mean, he done finished. Faith, that's like he done said amen. He pulled the gun and take his seat. He threw with the prayer. He just said amen, I'm done. Amen, let's close this thing out. Give the big thing. Amen. But then it's like the Holy Spirit interrupted and said, hey, you got something else you need to say. You need to go back over there and tell them that this forgiveness thing is a foot stumper. You know, when I was an instructor, they used to tell us whenever the instructor repeats something, that means it's important. It's going to be on the test. And then those instructors that was really trying to give you the test, when they say a certain thing, they'll go, and that let you know, write that down. You're going to see that again. Jesus saying, you better write this forgiveness thing down because you're going to see that again. Now look at this. Look what he says. For if you forgive men, their trespassers, your heavenly Father will also forgive yours. Forgive you. Well, he's going back and repeating some of verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That must be important. And he says, now, if you forgive, conditional, if you forgive me and that trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive so that means that God is not obligated to forgive you unless you forgive, forgive others. So that's why when we pray in the prayer every day, we all say, God, I forgive anybody who done wronged me today, God. I'm not going to hold it against it. I want to have peace with those people that wronged me because, God, I want you to forgive me because today I had some thoughts. The day I thought about saying some stuff, I didn't say it, but when she crossed me or he crossed me like that, it, it, it you know, it just, oh, man, if, 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 if they could read minds, if they could see the little caption and all the little things that buzzing around over my head right now, you know, them little, them little signs, them little hashtag, question mark, you know, the things that, they, that you know they can't say the word, they just put symbols. Some of y'all been experiencing them symbols in your head. And then now God is saying, look, I can help you with them symbols, 
But you got to go get some things right with the person that you're upset with. Because until you do that, I'm not obligated to forgive you for them symbols. Ah, y'all didn't get that. I, I know. I, I, the symbols wasn't in my notes, so I just feel like it just got dropped down. So now he's saying, now look, whatever I want from God, I got to make sure that I've already done it for the other person, or to the other people, whoever it is. Because if I haven't done that, I have not met the condition for God to forgive me. Now this forgiveness here ain't got nothing to do with you going to heaven. It ain't got nothing to do with your salvation. This is just talking about how God want to bless you while you're living here on the earth. And he's saying, look, sometimes your prayer is going to be hindered because you can't even forgive folks. How are you going to come to me and pray for your children, pray for this and pray for that? And, you, and I done told you, go and forgive this person that did you wrong. And so now look, he's saying, now look, but if you forgive men their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I mean, that's pretty simple to me. But what God is teaching us is that we got to know how important forgiveness and mercy is to him. Because when we think about how much he has forgiven us for and all the things that Jesus died for us for, things that we did that he didn't do, then we ought to say, man, God has been merciful to me. Then he expects me to be merciful to someone else. This is Jesus' inaugural sermon. I mean, this is the first sermon, so it's got to be important. This is how you, you know, when the president gives his inaugural address, they say when you listen to that closely, he, he's outlining what he want to do the next four years. So Jesus is outlining what he's expecting from his believers and followers in his ministry. He's outlining what he expects us to do as children of God. So the things that he say in this sermon on the mount, we can't take them lightly as if that was just another ordinary, like somebody said, Peyton, you just got to talk about ordinary. This ain't no ordinary sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. This is one that you can go back and read over and over and over again, five through seven of Matthew, and I guarantee you God will give you a different revelation every time you read it. So forgiveness is important to God. And he made that clear. You know, Jesus talked about the unmerciful servant. We don't have to talk about this today, but go to, and read sometime. Read Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35, where he gave the illustration of that unmerciful servant who was forgiven for much debt. And then all of a sudden, when someone owed him something, he would not forgive. That didn't end well for him. Y'all just got to go back and read that on your own. But that didn't, did, did not end well for him. And you don't want things in your life not to end well all because you're walking around with unfor. It's hard to get people to believe that unforgiveness is important to our relationship with God. Man, if we can't get rid of that unforgiveness in our heart, then we're never going to be able to approach God with a pure heart. And if we're not going to be able to approach him with a pure heart, then Jesus already told in chapter 5, you know, the pure in heart shall, y'all remember that? The pure in heart shall do what? 
So that means we don't see God just with our physical eye. We see God when we're talking to him in prayer. And if my heart is not right when I go to him in prayer, then guess what? I may not be seeing The last point he makes. I'm done. In verse 16 through 18, we close with Jesus teaching on, somebody say faster. Somebody say fasting again. You know, fasting is nothing more than the giving up of food or something, water, drink, whatever, for a period of time. Now, Jesus, don't say how often you need to fast. The Pharisees used to fast twice a week. You know, under the law, uh, the, 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 annually, that was an annual fast that God had prescribed. But all throughout the Bible, people fasted for many different occasions, you know, and, and they fasted for various lengths of time. So the importance is not, you know, how long you fast, but the question is, do you fast? Because just like the other two things that he considered important, he didn't say if you fast, he said when you fast. When you sacrifice and punish your flesh. Because that's all fasting is doing is allowing you to bring your flesh into subjection. Because fasting is easily talking about, to talk about it, but it's hard to do. Because our flesh don't want to be subjected to the will of God. But when we put ourselves through a, a weekly fast, a daily fast, an hourly fast, whatever, and we concentrate on the things of God, then we can understand and hear him better while we're going through that period of time. Because now I'm bringing my flesh into subjection. Flesh don't like to be brought into subjection. But Jesus is saying, I'm not going to give your flesh a break. Now I know some of you on medication and all that. He wasn't talking about medication here. That if you're taking a med, he know that. And your man said, you got to eat before you take it. Jesus ain't telling you to get crazy. Okay, Jesus want me to fast right now. Now, he already know. You taking this, this, and this. Why he going to tell you to fast when the, the prescriptions say you got to eat before you take it? But you may need to just skip lunch or breakfast. Amen. Skip something. Eat to take your pill, but you ain't got to follow it up. I ain't never read a prescription saying, eat three hours afterwards. <laughs> so the point I'm trying to make, young people, going off to college, or whatever you're going to do in the next life, you need to know how to fast. Because there are going to be some trying times in your college experience, and you're going to need to know how to fast and pray and bring your flesh into some you freshmen, when you get to the, you know, when you get to Cali Campus, you're going to be the cream of the crop. Everybody's going to be looking at you. Ooh, here they come. Young and dumb. They don't know the college game. And if you are not prayed up and fasted up and ready for that, the game will get ran on you right there. In. Times have changed, but the game is still the And so parents, if you're sending your children off to college, you need to sit down to them and explain the college game to them. So that when they go there, they can stay focused on the reason they went to college. 
Because there's going to be a lot of temptation when you get. Mommy ain't there, dad ain't there, nobody there, you know, all of a sudden now you ground. I'm a grown. Y'all know how y'all say it now. I'm a grown. <laughs> y'all thought I was going to cuss, didn't you? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just trying to help deliver some of y'all from saying that. I'm a grown. God know you're a woman or a man and you grown. Amen. You ain't got to associate the donkey with it. So the point here is that people, we got to fast sometime. We got to sacrifice sometime. You got to bring this flesh into check sometime. They got diets out there that even help us now. They call them, you know, you fast all so many hours and then eat at certain hours. 14 hour fast, 14 hours between meals, something like that. They got plans for you. Jump on one of them plans. Got a fast built into it. And then during no time when you fasting, you be thinking about God. Asking him to sustain you. So let me go and read this so I can take my seat. Look at this. He says, and when you fast, somebody said, when you fast. He said, now when you fast, don't make it obvious. As the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled. That means they don't wash their face, they don't comb their hair, don't brush their teeth. They want somebody to ask you, girl, why are you looking so bad today? Oh, man, I'm on this fast. I've been sitting in sackcloth and ashes and all that. Well, look here, man. <laughs> Wash your face. What kind of testimony am I going to be with? Nobody want to be around you because you got crud in your eyes. Then you're going to blame it on faster. Then you fasting just to be your heart is really not in it for the right reason. So Jesus was very obvious. He said, look, don't look miserable. Man, who wants to serve a miserable God that got you looking that bad? I mean, I wouldn't want that God. I'm on God's team, Adrian, and I got to come to work looking like that to prove that I'm a servant of the Most High God. I got to look like this. I don't think that's God's intention for us to look like we've been living outdoors for a month just to let somebody know we're going through a religious moment, a spiritual moment. So obviously there were people that were fasting just for show. They wanted to be seen. And Jesus said, I don't have a problem with you fasting. I expect you to fast, but don't do it for show. Nobody should even know when you're fasting. Now, you know, even here in the church, we do our little Wednesday fast. We, it's out there, baby. It's just a ritual now because I know half are striving. I don't even know. We don't start putting on our weekly information thing. Can one to get up there and say, day is, remember it's fast day? Somebody probably just click. Too late. I already had lunch. <laughs> Y'all should have got that memo out early this morning. Y'all better start putting that one out on, on Tuesday night. <laughs> click. And so what that lets me know that our fasting day may have just become a ritual now. And we're not setting our heart apart to really connect with God during that time. Not meditating on his word. Not hearing from him during that time. And so I submit to you that Jesus expects us to fast. Whether you fast on Wednesday as a, with the church do it, but at some point in time, 
Ask the Holy Spirit to show you when it's a good time for you to fast. And I believe God will honor you for being obedient to his word. So he's saying, now look, I tell you the truth. That is the only reward they will ever get when people ask them about fasting and when they see that. He says, but when you fast, comb your hair. Wash your face. Both are going to add, brush your I'm just adding that because I think if Jesus was rewriting the day, he'd probably say, brush your teeth. The Holy Spirit, I'll tell you, brush your teeth. It go along with this thing. I'm talking to young people now because I know sometimes young folks don't like that hygiene class. They ain't like take that class in school. They, they just think that they ain't got to. No, no, no. The old folks used to tell us, I don't know if it's in the Bible or not, but they used to tell us cleanliness is next to godliness. I don't know what grandmama never got that for. I ain't found it. If y'all got it, y'all have got the scripture and text. But it's a good principle. So he says, do those things. Then, verse 18, no one would notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you openly. So today Jesus taught us Three important principles. He taught us that we can't be hypocritical when it comes to giving. We got to give with the right motive. And we got to give with the right heart. And then God will bless us. He made it clear that we can't be hypocritical when it comes to praying. Not how long you pray, how much volume, or whether or not you repeat. It's about your heart. If your heart is right when you're praying for people, with people, whatever, then God is going to receive your prayer. But the simple thing is this. Don't do in public what you don't do in private. Man, don't try to come here on Sunday night like you're a prayer warrior. I mean, and, and your children listening and saying, where is all that coming from? Man, we ain't heard that much prayer, you know. I mean, when the last, we ain't heard that much prayer, I mean. Good God Almighty, I ain't no dad that can, mama can pray that long. I ain't, I mean, they ain't even pray for us going to school. Asking God to bring us back safely, but, but, they, but they get the audience and they get the opportunity to be on the show. And they make people think that that's how they are all the time. That's all the word hypocrite means. You make people think that what they see is the real you. When in reality, you're nothing like the person that they see while you're doing it. That's why in the Greek, all the theaters, they had masks because that represented hypocrisy. We wear masks to church. We have our hallelujahs and our amens down in church. Love the Lord with all my, we got it all down in church, but with that same mouth when we leave church. So all Jesus was trying to get us to see today, be the real you all the time. You are the one, the person that you think God see in public, in private. Meaning that the God 
that looks at your private life, you ought to be able to say that when he look at my private life, he will be pleased with my public. Because only God can see your private life. We see what you present to us based on which show you want us to see. But I hope the show that we show you in here is the same show we put on when we are not. So don't be a hypocrite. It is hypocrisy that keep this young generation from not wanting to come to church because they see the hypocrisy in us. And they're saying, those folks ain't real. They're not authentic. They're just putting on. They go to church just for... It got to be in us and in our heart. So when we leave here, people will know that we're the same person in here that we are when we're out in the public and when we're at home. Amen? So I entrust you. I, I, I encourage you today. Just try to live a life of integrity. Then you don't have to worry about the hypocrisy, because integrity will keep you in the right place with God and man. Amen? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise, if you will. I know this is tough when you're trying to teach a Jesus message, but he wants want us to learn some things from this Sermon on the Mount. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I have several appeals for you. My first appeal is for salvation. If you're online, or if you're in the church and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we extend an opportunity for you to give your life to Christ today. Now is that time. If you're here, just please raise your hand. If you're online, all you have to do is give us a call at 850-862-3899. Someone will receive your call and get the information that is needed from you. If you're in here, just raise your hand. My second appeal is for church membership. If you're here and you're looking for a church home and the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and saying striving for perfection ministry is a place for you, truly we'd love to have you as a part of this body. If you're online, that invitation goes out to you as well. If you're looking for a church home and you want to be a part of this ministry, we would love to have you be a part of this ministry. All you have to do is contact us and we'll definitely do all our part to to, to, to make you be a, feel like you're a part of this family. Even though you may not be living in the local area, we will do all that we can to try to make you feel like you're a part of this, this family. If you're so led to do that, please do that at this time. Then now my final appeal is for our altar prayer time. Again, we're going to forego the altar, but if you would, please stand for a moment, if you're able to. And I just ask that you make your request and your petition known to God. We're just going to take a moment to practice some of the things that we learn. First of all, we want to always acknowledge God, who he is as the creator, his majesty, his glory. We want to give him all the props that he is due for being an all-knowing and all-wise God. Then after you've done that, I just ask that you pray that whatever he wants to happen in earth, that he can use you to get it done then your request and your petition, whatever you have need of, 
make them known to God. Because I believe that God hears the cries of the righteous and he answers their prayers. So right now, I just ask that you get your heart in tune with God. Believe that you can connect with God during your time of prayer. Hallelujah. Eternal God, our Father, we honor you, we acknowledge you, and we reverence and respect you for being God and God all by yourself. We thank you, God, for accounting us worthy to be your children. And God, we just pray that you continue to, to look out for us, look over us, keep us, guide us in all things. And then, God, whatever our requests and our petitions are, you already know what we have need of, Father. So right now, we just ask that those things that you know that we need, we ask that you meet our need this day. This day, God, the things that we desire, the things that we need. And God, if there are some things that we're interceding on behalf of others, Lord, we just ask that you hear our cry on their behalf. Because you said when the righteous crowd, you hear them and you answer their prayer. So right now, God, we have people that we're thinking about, people that's in our families, people that's in our, our co-workers, our, 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 our neighborhood, God, people that we associate with, that we are concerned about. And God, we just lift them up to you right now, God, because we believe that we can intercede on their behalf because we know that you are all-knowing and all-wise God. And God, we just thank you for counting us worthy to, 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 to stand before you, God, because we've acknowledged our faults, our shortcomings, God. We realize that we all have them, but God, we know that you know our heart. You know that our desire is to please you in all that we do. God, we do nothing for other people's glory. We do nothing for vain glory, God. We do nothing to receive the praise of men. But God, when the final analysis is done, we want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to hear you say, I was pleased with what you did. I was pleased with the way you conducted yourself. I was pleased with how you represented with me in earth. I was pleased how you let your light so shine before men that glorified me in heaven. God, I thank you for counting us worthy with the assignment that you've given us. And God, I pray that we will execute that assignment to the best of our ability. In Jesus' name, amen.